Right, if you were here last week, that makes sense. If you weren't, then, well, then you missed it. I want you to feel like you missed something if you aren't here, right? uh, Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to be this morning. Romans 12, if you'll turn there as well, while our kids make their way to the front for kids' crew. I love to see the excitement on their faces as they do that. 20 years ago this summer, I went on a trip that uh, changed my life, really transformed my life. I was in between my junior and senior year of college. It was, it was the summer of 1999. We all thought the world was going to end when the clock rolled over uh, 2000, you know, at least we didn't really believe that, but that's what everybody was saying. You know, computers were going to like rise up against us like in the movie Terminator or something and the world was going to end. That didn't happen yet, but I know they've put out a few more Terminators since then, so as I understand, maybe it's still coming. But uh, in all seriousness, that was, uh, that was a, I suppose, an interesting time in world history, but also a really key time in my own life, in my own personal history that summer when God was doing a work in me and teaching me things and uh, really just uh, taking me on a personal spiritual journey that, as I said, has, has impacted my life to this day. It, it was on a mission trip to Malawi with a group of collegiate students from around the state of Oklahoma through Baptist Collegiate Ministry that God really taught me what worship is about in, in you know, I had grown up in a, in, in a home where we were in church all the time. And I grew up in a church that had a vibrant music ministry and great programs. And I was involved in choirs and different things. I played the guitar. I led worship at that point for, for uh, student ministry and also for collegiate ministry. And, and, and I, I knew a lot about music and, and had a grasp on those things. But on that trip, God really broadened my understanding of what worship really is about. And here's how it happened. We were, we were in Lilongwe, Malawi, which is the capital city of this nation kind of located in South Central Africa, the continent of Africa. And we went to church. We gathered with a, a, a group of believers and we go into their church on this particular day. And it's a, the, the church itself was about the size, the building was maybe about the size of this section of pews here, you know, this, this center section. And, and the building was made of handmade bricks with sort of a, a wooden and straw roof over the top of it. And as we come in, they have a few primitive type benches and they ask us to sit with the guys on one side and the girls on one side. They separated in their worship. They separated the men from the women. And the pews only went, there weren't that many pews to begin with, but the pews only went about halfway up in, in, this, uh, in, in this sanctuary. I learned later, that's because the front became kind of like the dance floor. That was where, that's where you really moved, you know. But uh, so, so we came in and we sat, guys on one side, girls on one side. And, uh, and, and as worship began, they were singing songs that I had no idea what the words were. But I recognized the tunes because the tunes were set to some of the great hymns of faith that I had grown up singing. And as we were singing, they were, of course, singing in their language. And it was, to say that it was expressive really doesn't do justice. I mean, it was incredible, right? It was, uh, it was vibrant. It was lively. It was energetic. As I said, there was dancing. There was lots of, uh, lots of movement and music. It was, and, and yet it was all done to these songs that 
I recognize these songs of faith. And I was singing in a completely different language than they were, and yet the heart language was the same. And I had this thought to myself that maybe this is what heaven is going to be like someday. Maybe when we gather in heaven, who knows that we might be singing and crying out to God in all of the different languages from all the tribes and all the tongues. And even as I've read to you from Revelation 5 this morning, and and we see that picture, that glimpse of what worship will be like gathered around the throne of God someday. I don't know exactly what that will look like, right? You, You don't either. We, there's, there's some, there's, there's some openness there for what exactly that may take or what form that may take. But in any case, I had the thought to myself that, that this is maybe just a, a glimpse, a picture of what heaven will be like someday. As people from across the ages, from across the, the world, different nations, different races, different peoples, different languages, different cultures will all be gathered together there at the throne of heaven, crying out in unison, worthy is the lamb, worthy is the one who gave himself for us. A beautiful picture. And God used that to really begin to stir in my heart uh, what, what worship must be about. At the same time that I was on that trip, I was reading a book called Desiring God, written by a guy named John Piper. And God was using that book as well to really stretch my understanding in the book Desiring God. Piper argues for what he calls Christian hedonism. And the whole idea is that God is God is most honored when we find our delight and our and, and our our really our being in him. That when we find our truest joy in worshiping him. That worship isn't just a thing that we do when we come to church on Sundays. It's not just singing songs. It's not just listening to teaching. That worship literally is about offering our lives to God and finding our joy and finding our desire in him. God took me halfway across the world to teach me some of those Lessons. Well, today you don't have to go halfway across the world to learn some of those same lessons because you're here and you're in this moment and you're in this space. But I hope that that God will use his word this morning and he will use this message to help you begin to think about your own understanding of what real worship is, your own definition, your, your personal practical definition of what does worship really look like in your life. And And how does God want you to be a worshiper, not just on Sunday mornings, but day after day in your life? And so I want to read together this morning, Romans 12, 1. And then I want us to think about what this means, that we would offer our lives to the Lord as living sacrifices, which is our spiritual worship. Read with me, Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Spiritual worship. That's the focus of this morning's message, about spiritual worship. Now, if... if, If we understand that there is a type of worship that is spiritual, doesn't that imply for us that there is a worship that is non-spiritual as well? If if we're told to bring our lives as spiritual worship, then shouldn't we understand that to mean that there is a form of worship that is non-spiritual? And the answer to that, I believe, is yes. See, worship is not so much about what we do, the things that we do, as, wor- as much as worship is about what we value. 
Not about what we do, but what, what we value. Those things that drive us, those desires that, that motivate us, that stir us. And, and yes, to be clear, when, when we are driven by these values, when we are driven by these desires, it will show up in the things that we do. But ultimately, worship is, is about what has our heart. What do we value? What, what do we give worth to? The word itself even comes from the old English, worth-ship. To worship something is to declare its worth. Now, Think about this for a moment. Every day, your life, my life, we declare worth of things that we value by the way that we live, the things that you give your time to, the things that you give your energy to, the things that motivate you, the things that you find yourself thinking of in your, in your free moments, in your, with your spare thoughts, in your downtime. These are things that you value. These are things that you cherish, things that drive you, things that you give worth to. And your worship is, your, is the ascribing of worth to those things. In fact, the, the most the most, I suppose, simple definition that I could offer for what really is worship is worship is when I point my life toward the things that I value. When I offer myself to the things that I find worthy. That's what worship is. Yes, there is a spiritual form to our worship. When we gather week after week and, and, and through a matter of of, of intentional, disciplined focus that we submit ourselves to the teaching of God's word and we sing praises together and th- th- corporately what we do in this place. This is worship and not just, not just the songs that we sing, all of it. Studying the word of God, uh, submitting ourselves to its authority, but even beyond that, the way that we fellowship with one another, the way that we pray together, the way that we live our lives together is a reflection of the gospel and the hope that we have in Jesus. All of that is a part of our worship that we bring to God. But worship doesn't just happen at 10.30 on Sunday mornings. Worship happens in your life every day as you ascribe worth or assign value to the things that you see as worthy of your time, worthy of your thoughts, worthy of your desires. Jesus speaks about worship. And so I want us to look at what Jesus says about worship. Go to John chapter four with me. John chapter four, a passage of scripture that I think really gives us a beautiful and at the same time a broad definition of what worship is all about. A beautiful and a broad definition. Jesus defines worship in this particular way, John chapter 4, he's meeting with what we know as the woman at the well, a woman from Samaria. And beginning in verse 7, we read that this woman came to draw water. Jesus asks her for a drink. She says, she says, why do you, a Jew, speak to me, a Samaritan, and ask me for water? Jesus says to her, if you knew who it was that was asking you, then you would ask me and I would give you living water and you would never thirst again. She clues in that, okay, something's happening here. Something's going on. This guy's a prophet. He's a teacher, something. And she begins to probe and ask questions about worship. My people, the Samaritans, worship on one mountain. Your people, the Jews, worship on another mountain. Where, tell me, where should we really worship? And Jesus points her in this way. Look at John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. Jesus says these very important and I think foundational words. He says, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers 
will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Now, the reason that I say this is a beautiful definition of what worship is, is because, well, first of all, it comes from the very mouth of God, right? That Jesus himself is the one who's teaching us. But what he's teaching us here is that Worship can take so many different forms. It it can have so many different expressions and so many different reflections of what worship really is about. That it can be, it's not bound by any one particular expression of music or language or culture or rhythm or uh, or, or, or any, any type of an ethnic thing, right? It can, it can take all these different forms. Our worship can be so beautiful, can be so expressive, can be so creative. It's about spirit and truth. But I also think that it's a very broad definition in that, in that because worship is about spirit and truth, that means that worship happens in all the different corners, in all the different areas, in all the different recesses of my life. Worship is not just about singing. Worship is not just about this, you know, this very narrow, constrained view that when we come in this place, what we do, this is worship. Now, every week, I can tell you, every week, we are so intentional about the way that we plan corporate worship for the church. We are so methodical, so purposeful about what we do and how we put together this corporate hour of worship, but worship is so much more than just this gathering that we have on Sunday mornings. Worship happens in all the different places and all the different spaces of our hearts and our lives. When we put God first, when we give him first place, when we ascribe our worth and our value to him, see, it's about what we value supremely, not just about the things that we do, not just about going through a set of motions or checking off a certain box, so to speak. What do I value? What do I find worthy? What do I, what do I point my life to and ascribe worth to? That's what worship ultimately is about. And Jesus says that it happens in spirit and in truth. Paul writing later to the Romans, the church in Rome, as we see, says that it, it happens when we offer our lives to God as living sacrifices. So I want us to see three different things in this text this morning about what spiritual worship is and how we, how we are to understand really what spiritual worship is. The first thing is this. Spiritual worship is conscious service. It's conscious service. Now, when you do some language study here and you study the words that are in the Greek language, the literal translation the literal translation of the words here for spiritual worship could be conscious service. That's literally what it can mean, reasoned or reasonable service of worship. The word that is translated as spiritual in the Greek language is the word logikos. Doesn't that sound like our word for logic? Logikos, which is that's where we get the word logic, obviously, and, and, and that means something that is reasoned, something that is thought out, something that is deliberate or conscious. And so it's a reasonable form of worship. The word here that's used for, uh, for worship itself is one of two words that are used throughout the New Testament. This particular word points to a sacred service before God. So, so when, we, when we serve God in a way that is consciously service-oriented, or as we might say, 
consciously offering ourselves in service to who he is and what God would have, reasonably or rationally submitting ourselves to him for his service. That's what real worship is about. It's conscious service. When we think of worship in that way, when we frame worship in this light, we have to understand that that being a living sacrifice and offering our lives to the Lord as our spiritual worship, as our conscious service, doesn't just happen accidentally. You don't just wake up one day and and stumbled your way into this. It comes as a matter of, of, of intentional living. It comes as a product of a disciplined, prayerful, deliberate pursuit of God. And so if we're going to offer our lives to him as living sacrifices, if we're going to consciously serve him with who we are, it has to be disciplined. That means that we do it whether we feel like it or when we don't. When, when we gather together and we think that, man, life is great and, 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 I'm, and, and in my heart I'm just overflowing with joy, that's a great time to offer worship to the Lord. But real discipline comes in our worship when we come in this place and we feel beaten down and we feel overrun by life and we feel worn out or exhausted or we feel anxious or we feel worried or we feel inadequate somehow and yet through those feelings and those emotions we say but God in spite of all that you are worthy of my praise you are worthy of my worship you are what I value in the most you are what I put first in my life even through my faults and my failures that's what real worship is. It's about, it's about a discipline. It's also, it's prayerful. It doesn't, happen, it doesn't happen without prayer. Because in prayer, we point our lives to, in prayer, we communicate with God. In prayer, we align ourselves with the very will of God. In prayer, we acknowledge his place, his worth over us. It's prayerful. It's also deliberate. It's something we do with intention. It's something that we have to be consciously, rationally aware of. It's, in other words, it's something that you prioritize. You wake up and you say, today I will live my life for the Lord. Today I will put him first. It's why it's so important that we go to the word of God daily, that we get in his word, that we study it, that we pray, that we intentionally pursue him Because living our lives as living sacrifices, offering our conscious service to the Lord has to be a matter of discipline, a matter of prayer, a a matter of deliberate pursuit of God. It's about conscious service. The second thing that we see is that spiritual worship flows from complete submission. It flows from complete submission, meaning when we are fully surrendered, fully yielded. There's another word that's used in the New Testament for worship. It's the word proskuneo. And in fact, in the passage in John that we read, that's the word that's used there. The, word, the Greek word proskuneo, which, which really is the, probably the, the most literal way to translate that word, means to make oneself low or to bow down. Proskuneo means that I bow down, I make myself, it's about submission, right? It's a, it's a, a, a physical picture of bowing ourselves or, or, or making ourselves low before God it, it, in worship of him. That's, that's, that's a, a, an expression that helps us to see worship is about submission. And unless we are completely submitted to God, then we aren't making our lives living sacrifices. Unless we are completely submitted to him, then we aren't offering our lives as a living sacrifice, which is spiritual worship. We're just, we're, we're going through the motions. 
We're giving lip service to something, but we're reserving a part of our heart. God doesn't want 90% of what you have. He doesn't want 95% of what you have. God wants 100% complete submission. That's what spiritual worship is. Spiritual worship in this way is pure. It's pure, it's consecrated, it's concentrated, it's undiluted. When we offer our lives to him fully, if you aren't completely submitted, we might say, then you, then you really aren't submitted. We're called to submit our lives, to yield ourselves to him as living sacrifices, which is our spiritual worship. So spiritual worship is conscious service. Spiritual worship flows from complete submission. Finally, we see spiritual worship produces consistent sanctification. Consistent sanctification. What I mean by that is that there ought to be steady growth in our lives. Sanctification is uh, really, it's a, it's a biblical word. That's why we use it is because it's a word taken from the Bible. But in, in many ways, it's, a, it's a, maybe a fancy word, a big word that describes spiritual growth. Sanctification is all about the spiritual growth that happens. It's a, it's a part of that process of becoming more and more like Christ. Something that is sanctified is something that is set apart, something that is holy. Well, sanctification is the process of becoming set apart or holy or reserved for God to use us, reserved unto Christ. And so when we become sanctified, we are growing spiritually more and more like Jesus, living more and more like him, reflecting him more and more in the way we live and the way we think and the things we say and our actions and our motivations. And the point is that if we are living yielded to him, there ought to be signs of steady growth in, in our lives. You ought to be able to look at a Christian and know if they are, if, if they are yielding their life as a living sacrifice by being able to track growth. Better yet, in your own heart, in your own life, if you want to know, am I living as a living sacrifice? Then look backward. Look at the way that you have lived. Is there a, is there a pattern of growth? Is there a pattern of transformation? That's what Paul goes on to write about in the very next verse. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Now, in a few weeks, we're going to talk about how we're transformed. We're going to focus in depth on what that means and how we're to be transformed. But for today, let's just understand that it needs to be there. It ought to, there ought to be fruit, right? There ought to be something to show for our sanctification as we are becoming more and more like Jesus. It's that process of growth, that process of transformation, that process of change that takes place. God wants you as you are. Understand that. You don't have to get your life together to come to him. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be totally pure and have it all figured out and, and, and be a spiritual saint. God wants you just the way you are. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. Because he, he sees so much more and he wants so much more for you. And that process of growing to become who he wants you to be, growing to be more and more like Jesus is the sanctification, that, that growth that he wants. And that happens in our lives as we worship him. Sanctification is a product of worship. Do you see that? As we live as living sacrifices, offering ourselves, submitting ourselves, fully surrendered to him and serving him, there's growth, there's transformation that takes place in our, heart, in our hearts. This process of growth is really is 
is what it's all about for us. I want to be able to say that I'm more like Jesus today than I was a month ago. I want to be able to say that I'm more like Jesus today than I was six years ago, than I was a generation ago, uh, than I was a decade, whatever that may be, right? Whatever measurements we're using, I want to be able to say I'm more like Jesus today than I was then because there's growth. But I also want to recognize that God's not done with me. I'm not a finished product. I'm not, I'm not fully cooked yet, right? That the Lord is still working on me. He's still working in my life. And by his grace and through his work, I want to be more like him in the future than I am today. Consistent sanctification that takes place in us is a part of our worship. That as we live our lives yielded and surrendered to him. So maybe you walk in this place today and you feel beaten up by life. You feel broken down in some way. You feel like, you feel like man, I've, I've failed. I've, I have not been who I ought to be. I have not done, I have not worshiped God with my whole heart. I have not given him. Here's the good news for you, friend. God loves you just the way you are and he wants you just the way you are. Come to him. Give him your life. Make that your worship. Offer what you have to him. Don't try to fix yourself up. Don't try to put it all together. Let him do that work in you through the power of his Holy Spirit. Offer your life to him. It's your spiritual worship. Lord, here I am. You know that I'm broken. You know that I'm a mess. You know that I'm incomplete. You know that I don't have it all together. And yet I give you my life. It's my spiritual worship. And he'll receive it. And it will honor him. And And by his grace and through his strength and his power, he will transform you into something beautiful and new. And listen, it it won't happen overnight. This is not a a, a magical formula. It takes hard work and discipline and accountability and intentional living and, and a disciplined pursuit of God. But if you are willing to offer your life to him, he will take it. And he will transform you and he will grow you over time. And he will be honored and worshiped through the transformation that happens as you are renewed, as you are made more and more like Jesus. Will you give him your spiritual worship? Everyone worships something in your life. You will worship something. The question is, will you offer spiritual worship to God by making yourself a living sacrifice to him? In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation, a time of response. And in that time of invitation, as we sing a song, our altars are going to be open. I pray that if God is stirring in your heart today, maybe, maybe he's prompting you about some transformation that needs to take place. Maybe what the Spirit is speaking to you today is about how you have not given yourself completely to him. You've offered an incomplete submission. You've said, Lord, here's, here's this little bit, but you've held on to something instead of fully yielding your life to him. And what God wants today is for you to be fully surrendered, fully yielded to him. Maybe today what you recognize is that I've been worshiping all the wrong things because everyone worships something. Maybe you've been giving first place to something else. Something else, someone else sits on the throne of your heart, so to speak. And that's the thing that you worship. That's the thing that you give your greatest worth or your highest praise to. And today what God is saying to you is you've allowed something else 
to take the place that only he should have in your heart and your life. And you'll never experience the fullness of joy in life that he has for you until you're willing to take that other thing off the throne and set God in his proper place in your life. Give him your heart. Give him your all. Be fully yielded and surrendered. Consciously serve him. Completely submit to him. Consistently grow and be sanctified by the power of his Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that we that we get to see your transforming power at work in us as we worship you. Literally, Lord, as we offer our lives, you take us and you make us new. You transform us into something different by your power, by your grace at work in us. Today, Lord, when you take, may you take our offerings of praise, our, our lives, our, given to you as a living sacrifice. May you be honored by it, Lord, And may you sanctify us, transform us, that we may be more like you, Jesus.